found it on YouTube, but a uh, <coughs> good introduction to our little series today. Uh, we're going to talk about Pharisees and hypocrites today, so, uh, and probably when I say that, it's probably like, oh, I know a few, but uh, we've got to realize we have some of that in all of us. There's a bit of a Pharisee, there's a hypocrite-ness, hypocrite-ness, I don't know if that's a word, but uh, we all struggle with this a little bit, and we're going to talk about this today. Uh, we are continuing in our series through the book of Matthew. We're heading into Matthew chapter 23, which is the famous uh, sermon, maybe, that Jesus spoke against the Pharisees. And so, uh, pretty hard-hitting, uh, pretty powerful, and uh, a lot about hypocrisy and judgmentalism and those kind of things in this text. And so, it's probably going to take us about f- maybe three weeks to get through it, uh, but today we are going to jump in. And uh, the stage is sort of set earlier in uh, Matthew 22, where we left off. Jesus has been, uh, been, been confronted by the Pharisees, confronted by the Sadducees. The religious leaders are wanting to kill Jesus. They're wanting to get rid of Jesus. And now Jesus actually begins to talk back a little bit. He begins to, to explain a little bit what's in their heart. And so Jesus sets up the stage like this. It says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Now, remember, Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. He was fulfilling prophecy in Zechariah. He came in and basically was proclaiming to everybody that he was the Messiah. And so he asked the Pharisees, who didn't think Jesus was the Messiah, whose son is he? And they replied, the son of David, that not meaning he would be uh, like, like, you know, father, son, but a descendant. They, they believed that the Messiah would be a descendant directly from King David. And so they answer, the son of David, which Jesus is in the lineage, of course, of King David. And he said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? And uh, he's going to quote from Psalm 110, which is actually the most quoted psalm in the New Testament concerning Jesus. And in Psalm 110, it's a messianic psalm, and uh, and it's written by King David. And Jesus says here that David was speaking by the Spirit, and this is is how Scripture works, that it says that every word has been inspired by God, that it was written down by a human, but mysteriously, God is behind the writing of Scripture, including the Psalms. And then he quotes Psalm 110, which says, and this is again David writing, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? And no one could say a word in reply. And from that day, no one dared ask him any more questions because Jesus keeps answering all these questions with wisdom. He challenges these people with wisdom. Now, now what's this about? So David's writing, he's saying, the Lord, which is God, obviously, says to my Lord. And in that day, there was no one who was more powerful than the king, except for God. So the question is, who is God talking to? If King David, who is the most powerful person in the land, says that my God, my Lord, is saying to another Lord, who is this Lord? And and this is why they saw this as a messianic psalm, that this Lord is the Messiah, And of course, Jesus is the Messiah, and he came and fulfilled uh, all these prophecies pointing to the Messiah. Now, what's ironic about this whole text and the point of it is that these Pharisees, 
in that day, if you would have asked him who, you know, who was longing for the Messiah the most, who was most excited about the coming Messiah, everybody would have pointed to the Pharisees. I mean, they were the ones who, who supposedly knew the Bible the best. They were the ones who ha- were supposed to have the most passion for God. In that day, if you looked at someone and said, you're a Pharisee, that would have been a compliment. I mean, today, if I say, you know, you're a Pharisee, you say, it's, it's a negative word in our culture because we, we know because of this chapter we're going to look at what was in the heart of these people. But in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were very much looked up to. They were kind of the heroes of the faith because look at those guys. Those guys are really living for God. Look at how hard they are trying. They were the heroes. Everyone looked up to the Pharisees. Um, James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary, said this. He says, they were the most highly regarded figures of their day. They believed the scriptures and had made it their duty to obey them even in the smallest particulars. Their very name meant separated. That's what the Pharisees mean, to be separate. Uh, meaning that they were trying to separate themselves from all contaminations of sin. They were not uh, flagrant sexual offenders, nor outright thieves, nor murderers. When the Pharisees of Jesus' parable said he was neither a robber, nor an evildoer, nor an adulterer, and that he fasted twice a week and gave a tithe of all he acquired, he was probably being quite honest. This was the way these men actually lived. These Pharisees were above reproach, at least when it came to outwardness, when it came to their obedience to God and, and, and just trying to do everything they could to follow God. I mean, people who were in their Bible, were praying, were doing all the supposed right things, yet here's what's ironic about this. Here is Jesus, the very heart of the Father, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Here is the Messiah standing right in front of these Pharisees who were like, we're so for God, and they wanted to kill him. They wanted to get rid of him. And this kind of brings up the question, is how in the world can someone be so misaligned? How can someone be so off track when they would say, we are the most zealous for God. There is no one like us in terms of passion for God. Yet, the very revelation of the Father is standing in front of them and they totally miss it. In fact, they have evil thoughts towards Jesus. I mean, that is craziness. And this can still happen today. And this happens to people who seem so zealous for Christianity, so zealous for their faith. You can end up in a spot where you are so far from God's heart that you're just like, these people want to kill Jesus. Now, how do you end up there? I mean, how does someone who is so in love with God and His Word and and just wants to obey Him end up in a place where they're actually so far from God on the inside? And usually it kind of works like this. And, and again, we all have a tendency if we, if we kind of follow on this track. I mean, it begins with us becoming Christians, right? When we begin to realize how amazing Jesus is and that He is the God of this universe and He is for us and not against us and He is with us and, and we surrender our lives to Him and we receive His forgiveness, we receive His grace and we're so thrilled to have our life changed. 
so thrilled that we don't have to be weighed down by, by guilt and shame anymore. We are free, and all the stuff that we struggle with begins to melt away, and, and we're just working, and we begin to grow, and begin to read our Bibles, and, and God begins to change our marriage, and, and we get excited. We begin to worship passionately. We begin to, to pray passionately. We begin to tell people about Jesus, and, and, and we're just on this track so passionate for God. But then what happens is all of a sudden, the more you begin to grow in God, there's a tendency to begin to look back and say, hey, why is that person not reading the Bible the way I'm reading? Why is that person not worshiping the way I'm worshiping? Why is that person struggling with that still? I mean, I've gone beyond that. And, and all of a sudden, instead of staying focused on Jesus, your attention slowly drifts to being focused on other people and what they're not doing. And all of a sudden, instead of getting your life from Jesus, you begin to get your life from comparing yourself to others, comparing yourself that I'm doing better, at least I'm not like that, at least I do all these things, look at those people, they don't, and you get increasingly frustrated with those who aren't as passionate as you. You get increasingly disturbed about them, and you begin to talk about them in your little groups, and, and all of a sudden, you're on the road to becoming a Pharisee. I mean, the Bible is very clear that we are to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Hebrews 12 says, we must get rid of every weight and sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out for us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The moment in our journey when we take our eyes off Jesus or subtly begin to look at what other people are doing or not doing and how we're better and we're doing more, and if those people were just serving the way I was serving and doing the things I was doing or reading like, you've just fallen into the track of a Pharisee. And if you continue down that road, you will end up in a place where you think you are the best Christian, you are the most zealous, and at the same time, your heart is so far from God. I mean, it's the classic story found in, in Luke 18. Uh, Jesus told this parable to, parable to some who were confident that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. He's talking about the Pharisees, which we're going to talk about. They were confident they were righteous. We are the ones living for God. We are the faithful ones. We are the passionate ones. We're so much better than all these other people. And then Jesus told, tells this Pharisee uh, this parable. He says, two men went, men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, extortionists, unrighteous people, adulterers, or even like this tax collector pointing this guy way back in the temple. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. The tax collector, however, stood far off and would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, sinner that I am. And then Jesus says this crazy statement. He says, I tell you, this man went down home justified rather than the Pharisee. Justified, you know, that word, just as if you never done, forgiven in a right relationship with God. Who was in the right relationship with God? The one who was like, God, I mess up and I'm a sinner and I, I need your mercy and grace. 
If you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, you will always realize that I need so much mercy. I need so much grace. The moment your eyes drift from Jesus onto other people, all of a sudden you're going to start feeling really good. and oh, I'm, I'm pretty impressive. All of a sudden, you will begin judging others and tearing others down and, and wanting, you know, everybody should be like me because I've got it all together. And all of a sudden, you are in serious danger. That's what this text is saying. I think you are in serious danger if you keep comparing yourself to others and you think you're all righteous and all good. There's a danger that our hearts can actually get so misaligned, we can get so deceived. In fact, Jesus in this text, you know, he tells calls the Pharisees blind. Again and again, he says, you're blind. You're blind, guys. You are blind because they, again, thought they were the ones who had it all together, and they were so far off. And all of us have this tendency to become a Pharisee or to become a hypocrite, and and it's the other word Jesus uses a lot in this text. I think four or five times he calls them hypocrites. And so as we go through Matthew 23, our goal is to kind of work the Pharisee, work the the hypocrite uh, out of our our lives. And from this text, we're going to see a few traits of a Pharisee. Number one, they take secret pleasure in judging other people. Now, they might outwardly say, you shouldn't judge, but secretly they take a lot of pleasure in doing it. Because again, their life is not based on focusing on Jesus. Their life comes from their rules and from putting others in their place. And so they love saying, you know what that person did? Look at that person. He should be more like this. I wish they were doing this. Secondly, they lessen others to make themselves feel more righteous. I'm glad I'm not like that person. Look at me. I'm serving all these places. What are these people doing? I feel so good. I must be really spiritual. They detest mercy being given to those who haven't worked for it or don't deserve it. Why is that person being blessed? I've been reading my Bible and praying and tithing and going to church and doing all these things. Why is that person being blessed? And they don't even show up church much. And look at that person over there not serving. And they just they detest because their righteousness is based on what they do. They believe that God's blessing is based on their obedience and, and, and what they do for God. And number four, they believe that they are the only real passionate ones. There's just a few of us who are really passionate. There's just a few of us who really have it all together. Too bad for everyone else. I mean, if they were just more spiritual like me, our church would be a much better place. And number five, and this really sums it up, they get their life from rule-keeping in comparison rather than Jesus. In other words, instead of focusing on Jesus and, and just looking to Him for grace and mercy and life and power and strength, they look to their rules and they look to putting others down to get their grace and mercy and power for life. And so, let's jump into this text. It begins, it says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to His disciples, so the Pharisees are there, crowds of people are there. Remember, this is, this is Passover. 180,000 people are in the city and around the city. It's packed. And Jesus decides to preach a little sermon. And he's warning the crowds. He is warning his disciples against the danger of Pharisaicalism. So he says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. So first of all, it says that they, 
sit in Moses' seat. And here's actually a, uh, a, uh, a seat from an ancient synagogue in the Israel in muse- uh, Museum in Israel. And they called this Moses' seat. And basically it was, it's kind of like our pulpit. So if you were going to teach in the synagogue, you would sit in Moses' seat and you would teach everybody. And, and back then, the teacher sat and everybody else stood. Imagine that, hey? If I got like some big con- comfy chair and you guys all just stand. At least no one would fall asleep. Sometimes I think it would be a good idea, right? <laughs> so they sit in Moses' seat. They're the ones who are the teachers of the day. They run the synagogues and so they sit in the pulpit. They're the, the pastors of the day, the preachers of the day, right? Then he says this, which is kind of strange. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. Some people think Jesus is being sarcastic here because, uh, I mean, he goes on and says this in verse 15 to these Pharisees. He says, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. So obviously their teachings are corrupting people. Their teachings are actually turning people and moving them farther away from God rather than, than closer. So why would Jesus say, you should do whatever they say. So some people think Jesus is being sarcastic. Others will say, um, no, he's, he, maybe he, what he is saying is because they're sitting in Moses' seat and because they teach from the law, that the law is good and the law would be truth, and so when they're teaching from the Bible, then you should do what they say because they're teaching from the Word, even though they might have some corrupt teaching in there. Uh, some people say that. It could be what he's getting at is what, the uh, famous commentator Matthew Henry said about preachers, some preachers in his day, he said this, when in the pulpit they preach so well that it is a pity they should ever come out of it, but when out of the pulpit they live so ill that it is a pity they should ever come in, right? <laughs> and maybe that's what he's getting at. Maybe these guys, when they were preaching or, you know, teaching from Moses' seat, I mean, they were pretty bang on, but but the rest of their life was just corrupt and their hearts were hard and, and, and off. But, but no matter what Jesus is getting at here, the point is this. They do not practice what they preach. And we today call that a hypocrite. Someone who, who does not practice what they preach. Who says you should be doing this and you better be doing that and look at me, look at how great I am. I've got it all together and you look at your life and go, whoa, buddy, <laughs> you're not practicing what you preach, right? So the definite dictionary meaning down there is a person who puts on a false appearance of virtue or religion or a person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. The word hypocrite actually comes from Greek theater. That's where the word comes from, uh, would be an actor who has different masks. And they were called a hypocrite, someone who <laughs> went up and they would put on a mask and, and pretend to be someone that they're not really, and then they have another mask and put it on and pretend to be someone they're not really. That's where the word comes from. And that's what a hypocrite is, is someone who, who tries to present themselves as someone they're not really who tries to present themselves as someone who has it all together and whose marriage is wonderful and, and Christian life is perfect and then they go out and people see them at work or at home or with their kids or, you know, whatever they're doing. It's like, whoa, okay, there's something really off. You're wearing a mask. And it's sad but true that a lot of people, when they think of hypocrites, some people think of Christians, right? 
Uh, in fact, I thought, I thought this cartoon was funny. <laughs> this guy with a cross, right? Whacking the atheist. Bash, bash, bash. You blind idiot, rat, fink, pervert, commie, blasphemer, immoral creep, and scum of the earth. And then, you know, the atheist gets mad and tries to break the cross. And the guy's like, hey, let's have a little respect here, right? And the, the title is Hypocrisy. No one does it better than Christians. And sadly, that's true sometimes, right? You're just like, whoa. I mean, hold it here. And the other truth is that we have a little bit of hypocrisy in all of us. Because, I mean, what Jesus asks us to do to, to love God and to love people, we, we don't perfectly do that. So it's not like, are you a hypocrite or not a hypocrite? It's kind of like, where are you on the scale? Okay, <laughs> you know, from you're not to zero because you're not perfect and, and hopefully you're not a 10. But, but I mean, the point is, hopefully you're living in a way where someone hopefully does not look at you and say, you know, you're a hypocrite. If someone is calling you a hypocrite, you're probably a little bit too far on the hypocrite scale and you need to begin working <laughs> towards the other way, right? Uh, we need to challenge ourselves to work the Pharisee, to work the hypocrisy out of our lives. Because if this text tells us one thing, and that is these two things are so deadly to our witness, so deadly to our faith. Because again, we have these Pharisees who think they're so bang on for God, yet their heart was so far away. In fact, Jesus is going to say to these guys, how in the world are you going to escape being condemned to hell? I mean, they're just, they're just so have deceived themselves, and we got to be careful that we don't. So here's some questions we can think about as ourselves as we kind of look at the sliding scale of how much of a hypocrite are you or not, okay? Uh, so when someone ticks you off, do you walk around with hatred and bitterness in your heart? I mean, kind of where on the scale, 1 to 10, are you when someone ticks you off? How much bitterness and how much hatred do you kind of struggle with? Because, I mean, Jesus said, or John said, if anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he cannot see. And so that's the standard, right? That's, that's zero. No hypocrisy in me. When someone ticks me off, I just love on them like crazy. Or do you walk around with bitterness and hatred, and, and, and you gossip about the person, and it spews out, and people look at you, and so I thought you were supposed to be loving. I thought you were a Christian, you know? Or number two, how often do words of anger or gossip come out of your mouth? James chapter 1 says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. I mean, if you say, man, I'm on fire for God, but there's like ugly words coming out about people and gossip, James says, your religion's worth it, worthless, you're a hypocrite. Or Ephesians 4, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So, I mean, where are you on the sliding scale? Do you find a lot of gossip, a lot of words that are tearing down other people, and, or is it words of love and you're building them up? And sometimes this may be words of challenge, right? That can be loving and good at some times, but, but where are you on the sliding scale? These are the things that we need to kind of work out of our lives. Or number three, do you quickly judge others before reminding yourself of your own failings? Or uh, do you judge other people for sinning differently? It's usually what happens. 
We love to judge people who sin differently than us. I mean, all of us, we have our struggles. But boy, when someone struggles in a way that I've gotten overcome this victory, but look at that person. We love judging people who sin differently than us, right? Uh, Matthew 7, 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Uh, we need to be very careful about judging others. Uh, we first need to take the log out of our own eyes, and, and, and that is you know, like what Paul said. He said, this is a worthwhile saying. Jesus came and died for us, and then he says, I am the worst of sinners. He says, that's a worthwhile saying, to, to see yourself kind of as the worst of sinners, but we, we don't see that as a worthwhile saying. We go, I'm the worst of sinners, but at least I'm not like that guy, right? <laughs> right? Be careful. First, remind yourself, man, I fall sometimes. I struggle sometimes. I've received so much grace and mercy, so you come to people with grace and mercy. You're number four, uh, do you honor and worship God with passion in public, but not in private? In Matthew 6, 1, talking about Pharisees here. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Or Matthew 15, again talking to the Pharisees. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so, I mean, do you, do you just worship God more passionately in public? Do you pray more passionately? Do you talk about your faith more passionately in public than you do when you're by yourself? Because the real you is always revealed when you're by yourself or with a close family members or friends. I mean, we, we, we all put on certain masks when we come to church. We all hide ourselves a little bit when we're around people we don't know, but we begin to reveal who we really are when we're in the privacy of our home or with our own family or close friends because we let our guard down and our real heart begins to come out. Uh, number five, uh, do you try to look Christian around Christians? but live like an atheist the rest of the time. In fact, there's a book that came out a while ago It's called The Christian Atheist, which I thought was a cool title. It's just people who, you know, I'm a Christian, but they, they live like there's no God, right? Uh, John 14 says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Or 2 Timothy 3 says, these people have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. And I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, but they freak out with anxiety the way everybody else does because they deny the power of God. Or they, they're afraid like everybody else is afraid because they deny the power of God or whatever it might be. I mean, I mean, do you look like a Christian when you show up here and the rest of the week you just look like everyone else? I mean, that, could, that can be on the hypocrisy scale. Uh, number six, is your faith primarily expressing itself in love? And again, we talked about this a lot, lot uh, last week, John 13. He said, I give you a new commandment, to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Everyone will know by this that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. In other words, as we talked about last week, the primary expression of our faith needs to be love. That our doctrine, our theology, our way of life, all of that needs to be soaked in love. And, and do people see that in you? I mean, this is where people get off into the hypocrisy sale, where, where some people look at Christians and say, that person's a hypocrite. Their faith is not primarily expressing itself in love. And lastly here, uh, do you demand things of others without compassion or servanthood towards them? 
And this goes right back to our text. And the last verse we'll look at today. Talking about the Pharisees, Jesus says, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. And so they have lots of rules, the Pharisees. And they just love to load it on other people. You need to have all these rules in your life. You better be doing all these things. You gotta, I have it all together and here's my list and you better do these things. And when you're around these people, you just feel weight. You feel a burden. You don't feel free and you don't feel life and love. You just feel a weight whenever you're around a Pharisee. And Jesus says, these people weigh people down with rules and laws and things they should do, but they don't offer any help. They're not like, let me help you carry out the commandments of God. Let me serve you. Let me walk alongside you. Let me encourage you. Let me take some of that. Let me carry you some of your burden. They're just like, you do this. So back in my big Moses seat, you know, that's <laughs> what they do. And, and uh, I mean, they just had crazy rules. Like the Sabbath, for instance. In the Old Testament, it says, six days work may be done, but on the seventh day, there must be a Sabbath of complete rest. A holy assembly, you must not do any work. That was the rule in the Old Testament, but they're like, hmm, no, that's not clear enough. We need to add a bunch of more rules, and Pharisees love rules, and so they came up with this list. Here's what you can't do on the Sabbath. One who sows, plows, reaps, binds, sheaves, threshes, winnows, selects, fit from unfit produce or crops, grinds, sifts, kneads, bakes, one who shears wool, washes it, beats it, dyes it, spins, weaves, makes two loops, weaves two threads, separates two threads, ties, unties, sews two stitches, tears uh, in order to sew two stitches, one who traps a deer, slaughters it, flays it, salts it, cures its hide, scrapes it, and cuts it up, one who writes two letters, erases two letters in order to write two letters, one who builds, tears down, one who puts out a fire, kindles a fire, one who hits with a hammer, one who transports an object to one domain to another. And if you think that's crazy, every single one of those things has a huge explanation for each one of those things. I mean, they love their rules. I mean, I think it was one rabbi who said that the, the, the thread of the Sabbath rule is, is holding up a mountain of things to do. I mean, Pharisees love rules. They got rules around how much you should read your Bible, how much you be, should pray, and how much you should be serving, how much you should be giving, how much you should be doing this, and how every, they have it all, this big list of rules, and they say, you better do this else you're not a real Christian, and you don't really love God if you don't follow these rules, and then they themselves don't even do some of that. Or they themselves sit back and say, well, just suffer. That's what Christianity is about. You just got to suffer. It's hard. And and like Jesus says, they lay down rules on people, and Jesus says they're not willing to serve. They're not actually helping people live the Christian life. In comparison, Jesus says this, and really when you understand the Pharisees, you understand what Jesus was saying here. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Because in that day, the Pharisees who ruled the land, who ruled the synagogues, had so many rules that people didn't feel free to really love God and worship God. They were burdened, and, and it was hard to live the life back then. And then Jesus says, listen, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Fix your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, Jesus said, I have come to set you free and you will be free indeed. And Galatians 5 says, he's not set us free to indulge in the sinful nature. It's not free to like just, you know, I'm going to go sin because I'm free. He says, he's not set you free to indulge in the sinful nature, but he set you free to love. That's what he says in Galatians 5. That you have been set free, not to sin, but to love. To help people with their burdens, to lift their weights, to live in freedom, to be focused on Jesus, to, to care about other people. But we don't base how well we're doing on what others are doing. We want to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And so, I mean, we need to resist the tendency to look back and be frustrated with those who lag behind. Because maybe one day you were there. And we just got to keep encouraging, hey, let's love God together. Let's study the Bible together. Let's go deep together. Let's do this together. And, and we don't lay weights on people. We want to we set people free into the freedom of Jesus. And that's the good news of, of Jesus. That he's come to set you free of sin, of shame, of guilt. Set you free of the laws and rules that weighed people down. And we now live under the law of Christ. Which the Bible says is the law of love. And Jesus is good, and he loves you. And if you're feeling weighed down and burdened today, go to Jesus. We're going to have people up here who are willing to pray for you after the service. Maybe you want to come up and just pray. Uh, maybe just right now, you just want to sit there and just say, God, would you take my burdens? Would you take my weights? I want to live in the freedom you offer. Let's pray. God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. And God, we thank you for the freedom that he allows us to live in, that we live no longer under the, the law of rules, but the law of your son, Jesus, the law of freedom and the law of love. So God, help us to love you, help us to love people. And God, I pray for anyone in this room who's feeling the weight of maybe a Pharisee around them or the Pharisee in their own hearts, God, that you would lead them to freedom. God, that you would help all of us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. God, that you would keep us from the tendency of comparing ourselves to others or hoping that others would be more like us or the tendency to gossip and judge, but to just focus on you. God, may you build that into us as a people. God, we need your blessing. We need your strength. We need your hope and your grace and your mercy. God, and like that tax collector, God, would you have mercy on us as sinners. In Jesus' name, amen.